All right, we'll go to the book of Exodus, please, Exodus 25. And we're going to be looking today at um, the holy place, the next uh, compartment in the tabernacle. Uh, we started on the inner compartment, dealing with the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the Mercy Seat, and then the Veil. And now we're basically, from God's perspective, working from the inside out. And uh, probably would make more sense to us starting from the outside in, uh, but this is the way I did it, so you'll have to just put up with it. Amen. Exodus chapter 25, and verse number 23. And we're going to be looking at the table of showbread first today, so we'll read that section first, 23 to 30. Uh, Thou shalt... Also make a table of shittim wood, two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make it unto, unto it a border of an hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border there round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof, over against the border shall the rings be for, for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof and spoons thereof and coverings thereof and the bowls thereof to cover with all of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set them upon the table, uh, showbread before me alway. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would just give me the uh, ability, Lord, to bring forth this lesson uh, with, with understanding. And I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would have free course in our minds and heart now to help us understand what we need to in relation to the furniture we're looking at today. And we just pray this would be helpful for us, profitable for the people of God tonight. We thank you for your word. and We thank you that we can learn about the Lord Jesus Christ through these pictures that you've given us in the Old Testament. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the table of showbread, we'll get forward here. Letter A, the table's message about Jesus Christ. And so we know that especially now we're getting into the holy place, the holy of holies had a lot more to do with Jesus than it did uh, with us. Uh, and that's because we are on the outside and the Lord is making a way for us to come on the inside by the tearing of that veil. Remember we talked about that last week, how that uh, the flesh of Christ is the veil that is uh, what it pictured all the way from the beginning is when Jesus would give his body on the cross of Calvary and open up that way for us to approach that ark or that mercy seat uh, so we could have fellowship with God. But now that we're in the holy place, this is where the, the priests would serve. This is where mankind would work. Uh, the believers would work. And so now you're going to see a little more meaning in these in these. Uh, uh, in these uh, uh, furniture in relation not only to Jesus Christ, but also to the church, to you as a believer. And so that's going to be interesting. So the first thing we want to learn about the, the message about Jesus Christ is, number one, Christ's provision. So the table typifies Christ as the spiritual food for his people. And of course, this is uh, no surprise to you. In Luke 15, 17, it says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? We all know that's the story of the prodigal. The prodigal son that's away from, the, away from his father, away from truth, away from the blessing, was perishing 
with hunger. And that is a picture of how we are separated from God as well. Uh, when, we're, when we did not have Jesus Christ, we were just like this prodigal. And the Lord had to bring us to a place, a pig pen experience, where it brought us back to the Lord so we could get that bread so we could be fed. Amen. And so in John 6, 51, it says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Wow, that's quite interesting. And this is where uh, the heresy of, of transubstantiation comes from, because they didn't keep reading the scripture, where Jesus said, The words that I speak unto you are spiritual. Amen. They're not talking about the carnality of my body or the carnal flesh. It's talking about the spiritual body that I'm offering. Amen. And yet they took that literally. So now when they eat that wafer, they believe it actually turns into the very body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that wine, as the priest prays over it, turns into the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, with the, many of the Protestant movements, they, they believe in what's called consubstantiation. So they don't believe it turns completely into, but it contains. It contains the body of Christ and it contains the blood of Jesus, even though it still is a wafer and even though it still is the, the juice or the wine. They use, many times they use the <clears throat> alcoholic wine. We would never do that. Uh, we use the, in fact, every time in the Bible where it talks about the Lord's Supper, it doesn't even use the word wine. It uses the fruit of the, fruit of the vine or it talks about the cup but never does even use the word wine because he knew that us in our carnality would probably start using alcoholic wine to picture his blood. And he doesn't want that because that's not what pure wine was. Amen. That was right. A good example of that is when it talks about how that uh, the Lord brings wine out of the wine press. And immediately, it's talking about an immediate thing that comes out of the wine press. Well, we know that alcohol doesn't come out of the wine press. Alcohol is what happens after you, through a process that you bring it through after it comes out of the wine press. Amen. And so the Bible tells us that wine comes directly out of the wine press. Well, what's wine? Well, it's the juice of the grape that you had in there. Amen. And so there's many things in the Bible to prove that alcohol is not, uh, wine is not necessarily always alcohol, even though the word can be used for both. All right. Context proves that. In John chapter 6, verse 32, it says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And so that's talking about heavenly bread. Um, and then you have, so Christ was the true bread that would satisfy the spiritual hunger of his people who were perishing with hunger, like that prodigal son was perishing with hunger. That's what we were all like. I don't know how, if you remember what you were like without Jesus. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you forgot, but I'll tell you something. You were perishing with hunger. There was something inside of you. You knew you were empty, and there's something you needed to fill up that void. And that was the living bread that came down from heaven. Amen? So when you got saved, you got filled up. I hope you did. Amen? Because that's, that's the truth. Uh, then we have the, he's also referred to as a living bread. So Christ brought living bread to mankind who were dead in their sins. He came down from heaven to feed us. And so this isn't just any old bread. This is a living bread. It brings life to the dead. And so number two, Christ's remembrance 
The bread on the table was called the bread of remembrance. The Lord's Supper was given as an ordinance to the local church as a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us. And so there you have somewhat of that uh, tie between the table of showbread and also the picture we have in the Lord's Supper, how the bread was there to remember, okay? The bread isn't there to save them. They're not going to get saved by eating this bread, but it's there to keep them in remembrance of what the Lord is providing for them. Leviticus 24, 5, it says, And thou shalt take thine fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenths deals shall be in the one cake, and thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And so there you have the instruction on how to prepare the bread for on top of that table of showbread. 1 Corinthians 11.23 says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Amen. So bread has a very strong significance to not only to the Jews, but also to us as the Gentiles in the church. Amen. And so let's never forget that. And by the way, Lord's Supper will never use leavened bread. You know what leaven is? That's, that's yeast. So we don't use yeast in our bread. Anytime we have bread for the Lord's Supper, it's yeast-free. Amen? Because yeast is a picture of sin. It's a picture of hypocrisy. It's a picture of false doctrine. Uh, there's many times in the Scripture the Lord defines what that, uh, that leaven of the Pharisees is. And he explains that, I think, three different things. And he says, this is what it represents. And so that's how we know within our local assembly, when we partake together, that if there's false doctrine among us, you're not fit to partake of the, the bread. Uh, if there's uh, hypocrisy among us, you're not fit to take of that bread. You need to be pure. You need to be unfeigned. You need to be what you are here as you were at home. You need to be what you were at home as you were at the superstore. Amen. I mean, you got to be the same wherever you are. But if you're putting on a show here and you're different at home, then you ought not be partaking of the Lord's Supper because that's the leaven of the Pharisees. That, that's hypocrisy. Amen? So the Bible says that many of us have partaken of the Lord's Supper unworthily, and therefore many sleep and are sickly and so forth and weak. Uh, the Lord takes notice of those things because what's represented in that bread is very important to Him. Maybe not as important to us as it should be, but we know the Lord, He takes the pictures and the typology very seriously. And many people died in the Old Testament. We'll look at that today because they did not uphold the typology that He was trying to teach the people. And they failed to sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the people. Amen. So that's why we seek to do everything right. And I know people say, well, then that leaves me out. You're so intolerant or you're so narrow or you're so, well, you call what you want. We're just going to do the way the Bible says. Amen. And that's just the way we have to keep doing it, as intolerant as it may be perceived. Amen. And so it's not just a hodgepodge of let's all get together and have some food together. It's very specific when you have the Lord's Supper. And it was very specific in the Old Testament as to who would eat that bread within that holy place. It was only for the Levitical priests. Amen. Until that one day David went in there and ate and God, God allowed it. Because there was a need. There was a necessary need there. All right. And so the bread was continually before the presence of God. 
Uh, Christ even today stands in God's presence, and that's a picture of that. The sacrifice of Christ is ever before the face of God as it should be before the church as well. And so it talks about that bread being before the Lord. It's a remembrance, and it ought to be a remembrance for us as well. In 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things writing unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Uh, Revelation 5, 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. So who is in the midst of all this? The lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's always got to be kept in the middle of it. Amen? Revelation 5, 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Who is thou? Who is the one that's worthy? That is the lamb. That is the one. Amen. He is the central focus of God's people always. And we're going to see that very plainly one day when we're raptured up. We're going to stand before the throne of God. And guess who the central figure is going to become? The Lord Jesus Christ. So we better get used to it down here. Amen. So let's make sure we keep Jesus before us. And that's, that's very much the, the picture of the typology of the Old Testament bread in the, in the holy place, but also the bread within the Lord's Supper. Amen. And we're also going to be preparing for that in the next little while, having the Lord's Supper together. Number three, Christ's faithfulness. The bread was to be on the table continually, even during transport, to signify that Jesus Christ and the promises of Christ are given in His Word, as given in His Word, are faithful and true. So this bread would go with them everywhere. Amen. I like the scriptures, the way, they, way it shows all this. In Numbers 4, verse 7, it says, Upon the table of showbread they shall spread a cloth of blue, and put thereon the dishes and the spoons and the bowls and the covers to cover withal, and the continual bread shall be thereon. So they left the bread on there for traveling. And they shall spread upon them a cloth of scarlet, and the cover of the same with the covering of badger skins, and shall put in the staves thereof. So they're getting ready to carry it with the staves, and they leave the bread on there. They just protect it with the badger skins, the, the, the linen of, of blue, and the linen of scarlet. Amen. All picturing the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ is with us always. But not just that, this book is our bread. This book, the promises of God. And we'll look at some verses here. Revelation 3.14, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Revelation 19.11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. In Revelation 21.5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Amen. Remember a while back we preached a message, I forget what it was about, but the word of God only reflects the God that you have. That means the way you look at the Bible reflects the way you look at God. That means if God isn't faithful and true to you, then his words aren't faithful and true. But folks, you cannot say that these words are faithful and true if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is faithful and true. The character of Christ is the character of the word of God. 
and to tear down the Bible after Jesus Christ is faithful and true, then we say, oh, we can't really trust our Bible. My goodness, man, what a terrible testimony with standing before God one day saying, we didn't believe what you said, Lord, but you're okay, but your word isn't. Well, the only problem is, is, is I am the word. I am the word. I gave you that word. I, I gave you all the words that are in that book. Amen. He actually, through the Holy Spirit of God, gave them to the apostles. They wrote them down. Amen. So they are faithful and true. So if he's faithful and true, the word of God is faithful and true. And that's the way we just have to live. Amen. We got to be careful. I mean, Eric, we're talking today a little bit about how that today there's a movement within even Baptist churches where they're starting to lessen their view of the Bible. And then, well, maybe we can perfect it. Maybe we can make it better. Folks, you don't need to make it better. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll tell you something. If you just do what the Bible says, <laughs> you know, so, so many people are just worried about making it better when they haven't even done what the Bible says. You're not even believing what it says, and now you're trying to make it better? My goodness, you know, let's just believe it for what it says. Folks, since 1611, they, they've had a good Bible. They've had a perfect Bible. They've had all the words of God. And somehow we got bought this idea since higher criticism came in that we can somehow perfect on that which we already have perfected. Amen? But there's people out there that are mo movements today that are pushing that. And that's why you look on their statement of faith and says, well, we believe it was uh, inspired in the original manuscripts. Well, there's not one original manuscript on this planet today. So then we don't have the inspired word of God on the planet today? What's going on, man? <laughs> you know, if that's your mentality, then you will not call this word faithful and true. But folks, just like when God created Adam, you know what he did? He breathed into him and made him a living soul. Isn't it amazing that one breath made one man alive, but not just one, but every soul after him was alive by one breath? Don't you think he could breathe one time in those original manuscripts and continue that in preservation for as long as he wants it to be preserved? Amen. We, what we need to do is believe that the doctrine of inspiration or the doctrine of preservation is equally as powerful as the doctrine of inspiration. So what that means is as the inspired word of God has been preserved for us. So we can say, I have the inspired word of God and it's been preserved for us. Amen. It's equally as powerful, and that's, I think, where mankind has failed and Christianity has failed. They kind of look at preservation. I had one guy say, oh, it's just with a small P. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. It's a large P to me. <laughs> Amen. It's, it's preserved. Preserved. Uh, Timothy, you know, it says that uh, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Timothy had the scriptures. He wasn't talking about the New Testament. It, 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 much of it hadn't been written yet. So what he was talking about is the Old Testament. He was saying, Timothy, and this is the Holy Spirit of God saying, you have the scriptures. Well, where's the original? Did Timothy have the original that Moses wrote? No, he didn't. So obviously the inspired word of God is preserved. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So that you can actually say in the preserved Bible, you can say this is inspired. But you know what? There's a real problem today because I, I always look at a church's statement of faith. And if they give me this stuff about it's only inspired in the original languages, I'm sorry. And they leave it there. Okay, it was inspired in the original. God breathed it just like Adam was breathed a living soul. And you could say, yes, Adam breathed into, God breathed into Adam and made him a living soul. But then what about the rest? Are you a dead soul? 
<laughs> Amen? No, sir. That breath continues on, you see. And we have to have the same faith in God's word, especially after he told us that we have a Bible in our hands. We have God's word. Amen? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Yeah. So why would God be so mean to us to tell us that and then not, not give us a Bible with every word in it? Yeah, I know you need every word, but I just couldn't preserve it for you, sorry. Man was too evil. <laughs> Baloney. Baloney. We have the preserved word of God in our hands. That's the faith we need to teach ourselves. That's the faith we need to teach our children. Or they're going to end up being Bible rejectors. They're going to be exactly what's going on today in Christianity where the Bible is set aside. It's not that important. I'm having an experience. That's all I need is an experience with God. And they've got nothing to set the parameters of their Christian life. Because they don't trust it. Amen. Uh, thy words are pure words. Therefore thy servant loveth it. Our kids don't love the Bible because we don't teach them it's pure. Yeah. And you'll never love the Bible until you know it's pure. Amen. And once you know it's pure, you're going to love it. <laughs> Amen. That's, that's the difference. And so, yeah, people that love the Bible will get a little zealous about that. And that's good. Amen. That's good stuff. All right, anyways, let's move on. Um, the table was signified by Christ's divinity. The table kept the bread above the earth. Christ must be lifted up, but his word must also be lifted up to be just as faithful and true as he is. That bread was kept off the ground, amen? It was put on a table. It was lifted up. It was lifted up in Christ. And so is his word lifted up in Christ, amen? Uh, letter B, the table's message for the church. So what does God have for us? Number one is this, fellowship with God. The priests would eat of the bread at the table in the sanctuary, signifying our fellowship with God in Christ. Boy, I love this passage here in 1 John chapter 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, this is the Apostle John. This is the one that, that sat with Jesus and laid on him and rested on him and slept on Jesus. He loved him so much. And this is what he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. He's talking about Jesus Christ. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's saying Jesus Christ is eternal life manifested to mankind. Yeah. It goes on to say, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. So what is the key to our fellowship? Is knowing who Jesus Christ is. See, you know what we're, having, we're trying to do today? We're trying to have fellowship with people without Jesus. Yeah. Oh no, we've got to set aside the differences. Let's just have fellowship. No, no, no. That's not what he is saying in this passage. He's saying, I'm telling you who he is so that you can fellowship with us. So does it matter what you believe about Jesus Christ? Amen. You think it matters who you fellowship with based on what they believe about Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Christian, if you can go and have a good time with people that deny Christ, there's something wrong with your Christianity. Because I'll tell you who's not there fellowshipping with you, Jesus Christ. You're on your own. You know, he says, no, no, I don't fellowship that way. This table of showbread is teaching us 
that these Levites would go around that table, they'd partake of the bread together, they were allowed to eat it together, and they fellowship within the holy place. And it brought them together in fellowship together, and that bread was Christ. So be careful of your fellowship, folks. Be careful. Like we were talking even this month about Halloween and different things. The Bible says, fellowship not with the works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Reprove them. Expose it. What are you scared? You're going to lose a friend? Scared you're going to lose a job? (laughs) You know? My goodness, man. Reprove them. Don't fellowship with it. Because if you fellowship with that, I'm sorry, that's not the bread of life. That's not Jesus. Amen? And I was just thinking about that verse in relation to Halloween. Fellowship not with the works of darkness. Do you think Halloween's a work of darkness? Or is that a work of light? Amen? I mean, we had people come to our door yesterday, and nobody knocked on it. I don't know what happened. We were just kind of sitting and fellowshipping with the family. Heard people come up, and they drive away. I don't know if an angel came down and went, boo. <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> Go away. But they didn't knock on the door. Did they? Anybody knock on the door? Not one of them. You know, we don't celebrate Halloween in any way whatsoever. We give no glory to that. You know, we don't, we're not going to have a church Halloween to take place of the world's Halloween and that kind of stuff. I mean, you can get together in fellowships so you don't have everybody knocking on your door. You know, nothing wrong with that. But let's not, you know, replace Halloween with some kind of a church dress-up. You know, no, sir. That All that meant something within Halloween. We're not going to, we're not, we're going to reprove it. We're not going to fellowship with it. We're going to reprove it. We're going to expose it. I know it's not going to make you popular. Everybody in the world says, oh, you fuddy-duddy Christian. Yeah. But it all depends on whether you're fellowshipping with Christ or you're fellowshipping with this world. You've got to make your choice. Every individual in this room has to make that choice. And it starts in your heart first. It's not just about putting on an outward show. It's a reflection of what's going on right in here in your heart. Amen? That's why I put up the article. I left it up there for three, four weeks. You just keep reading it. I wanted to remind you every time, you know, should a Christian sell? Should a Christian sell? Should a Christian do it? No, they should not. Amen? Only the priest could eat of the bread as only believers in Christ can fellowship with Christ. People that are not in Christ can't fellowship with Christ. That's all there's to it. Romans 8 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you have to have the Spirit of Christ in you. Do you have the Spirit of Christ in you? Well, then you should be in perfect fellowship with Jesus Christ and his people. And if you're not, then you're going to ask, what in the world happened here? Why am I out of fellowship with God's people? Why am I out of fellowship with God? Amen. All I know is it's not God's fault. You gotta, it's got to fall on you, your, your responsibility. Letter B, fellowship occurred in the sanctuary. This means that we cannot say we are in fellowship with Christ when we're out of touch with God. They were, they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were in the will of God, just simply doing. It may, it may have seemed mundane. They did it every day, day in, day out. You know, to us, we think, oh, it might have been interesting to go in. But you've got to remember, they were doing this every day, all year round. They're, I mean, that can become mundane. Just go in, put the bread on, light the candles, <laughs> keep the oil fresh, uh, burn the incense. But they were doing the things of God. Yeah. That's where the fellowship is. You can't just pull out of the, the things of God and expect to be fellowship with, with God's people. Fellowship with God's people is in the midst of serving God. Amen? 
That's the holy place. That's the place of service. This church today, this isn't the place you just come in and sit down and just leave and just uh, let everybody else do what needs to be done. you you got to put yourself in there. I want to serve God. And that's where your fellowship truly begins. Some people, what they do is they kind of sit on the outskirts and then they suck their thumb back there and say, nobody loves me. <laughs> They're so unfriendly. I've not got that from anybody in this church that you're unfriendly. I find that when you're doing the things of God, everybody's pretty friendly with one another, you know. But if you're standing on the outside waiting for someone to force you to do something for God, no, sir, you've got to make that choice. You've got to take some steps in. Amen? That's your responsibility. But don't just wait for everybody to draw you, oh, if you, they don't invite me. Thumb sucker. That's what you are. It's a thumb sucker. Just waiting for someone to invite you and nobody invites me, I'm not going to come. You ought to think more of God than that. Amen? It starts with God and His service. It starts with Him, not with the people of God. It starts with Christ. And that should be enough to draw you right in and give your life to do whatever you need to do for the Lord. And you know what a benefit of that is? That you have fellowship with the people of God. Because you're doing it together. Amen? This isn't about just fellowshiping with people. That's not where it starts. It starts with you wanting to do something for Christ. I want to be faithful to you, Lord. And then because of that, there's people around you that want that same heart, and that's where the fellowship begins. Amen? So important. This then is the message uh, that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and him no, in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You know what a sign of whether you're in fellowship with God is? Whether you're doing right. And I think that people are, that are out of fellowship with God's people are people that are out of fellowship with God. And I guarantee you this, the first step out of fellowship with God's people is that they're out of fellowship with God. So you keep your fellowship with the Lord and you will always be with the people of God. As imperfect as they are, I know you could sit there and criticize everybody for how imperfect they are, just like we could do you. Amen? That's not what this is about. This is about all of us focusing on Christ, the perfect one, and helping each other get there. Amen? That's what it should be about. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So the key to that fellowship is walking in the light of the word of God. Walking in the light of that bread. That every word bread <laughs> that we need. Amen? That's how we stay in fellowship with God. Number two, order before God. The 12 loaves which represented the 12 tribes of Israel, were to be kept in order on the table. When we serve God in fellowship with Him, we will live a life of order before Him. God is a God of order. He didn't just say, just throw them discs around, let them fall where they want them on the table. He stacked them up, and He stacked them in a certain number on each side to represent the 12 tribes and the order that He desires for God's people. Amen? So we're not just these, you know, I don't like organized religion. I don't like organized this. I, don't, <laughs> I'm just, I look at these people and say, you want everything to be unorganized. You just want to walk in and everybody go, they do what they want and feel led of the spirit and knock my head against the wall or whatever. I want to scream. I want to preach today. And I mean, what in the world? That is not the way that the church is supposed to run. 
You know, we start at the same time, hopefully, within two or three minutes. <laughs> Amen. We sing songs. We have a specific hymn book that we use. We, we keep our songs within a parameter of what is proper. and what, You know, instead of going into realms we ought not be going in. That's all order. When somebody has a special, they tell us what song it is. We look that up, make sure that it, there's not, nothing there that's going to taint the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not saying that the only songs you can sing are those that are written 400 years ago. You know, there's songs, good godly songs that were written this year or last year or, or 10 years, you know. But you got to be careful. You really got to be careful. Um, Exodus 40, verse 4, And thou shalt bring in the table and set in order the things that are to be set in order upon it. And thou shalt bring in the candlestick and the light and light the lamps thereof. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, Let all things be done decently and in order, it says. Colossians 2, 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order. The Apostle Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm joying in your order. He wasn't saying unorganized religion. He wasn't saying a hodgepodge of let's do what we want and it doesn't matter, let the Spirit just flow and lead everybody the way they want. No, no. Uh, there's, it's amazing how many people have the Spirit will flow in a way that isn't quite in order. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the wrong kind of Spirit. You know, I've had people that came up, they, they said the Lord led me to preach today. I remember I had one guy that called me and says, the Lord told me I'm supposed to preach in your church. I said, well, the Lord didn't tell me that. Yeah. And that's yeah. really what matters. <laughs> you know, he thought he had me. Oh, I mean, you're not just going to take my word for it. No, sir, because we operate with order. And I'm the one responsible for that order. Amen. Yeah. So I don't care how spiritual they look. They could be floating on clouds coming in the door. They are not going to be preaching because that's not the way God works. Amen. Titus 1.5, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. So in church planting, there's order. You have to bring order into that assembly. Doctrinal order, you need to bring methodical order, you need to bring all kinds of order. Musical order and <laughs> all these things. We have an order of service. We call this an order of service. Now, I'm not saying that this is like written in stone here. I mean, we can switch some songs around and we could, you know, but the thing is coming into the service, we know there's order. Yeah. Amen? Amen. One guy once said, we should throw away our order of service. Why, why, why would I throw away order? I'm not saying within the service of the Lord puts a song in my heart, we could sing that. But I, I, there's no way I'm just going to throw away order. You know, we're always going to have order. Let's make sure we don't order God out of things, but let's, you know, but I think God is pleased when we, when we go into his house and we, we operate in the church with order. And that's why I have to say something. That's why I have to say sometimes with kids running around during the preaching time, it says, get your kids under control because that's out of order. I get people for one hour a week. Some of those people will not get more than an hour of my preaching this week. And they do not need to hear kids screaming and yelling and running around during that one hour out of the 168 hours of the week where they get that truth that may change their life, except they can't hear it. You think the devil pinches kids? <laughs> yeah. 
But that's where parents step in. Okay, devil, you're going to pinch my kid? I'm going to whoop him. <laughs> the devil doesn't like you whooping your kids, by the way. He doesn't like you disciplining your children. He wants you to let them keep running around. He's got churches set up for kids like that where you can all just run around. But that's not here. This, is, this, this church is a church of order. Amen? I always tell folks, if you've if you got to go to the washroom, you got to go, don't go during the preaching time. You got to sit down and listen and teach your kids to sit down during the word of God and listen. You need to go washroom, go during the hymn time or handshaking time or something like that. But during the preaching of God's word, you got to sit there and listen. And your kids, they'll always want to get up and folks, they'll always want, they'll sit down, they can sit down at home for three hours, play their video games. They come to church five minutes, all of a sudden got to run around. No, you got to think that's not What's going on here? They're just trying to get away and do their own thing. So you have to make them sit, especially through the preaching, the special music. You ought to be running around in the church. Because it's there to prepare the heart of the people for the message. So when you get up and start walking around and so forth, it distracts people. So we, we, we're, that's order. Amen? I understand. Sometimes kids will blurt something out. You can't do nothing about that. But only, it only ought to be one blurt. <laughs> Amen. It ought to be a... <laughs> Order. <laughs> you get that? Oh, are we supposed to do that? Well, that's the way they've done it for thousands of years until all of a sudden these newfangled Dr. Spockers and started saying that we don't do that way. Look at their fruit. Amen. Tell you something, you get parents that have taught their kids right to sit in church, that brings forth good fruit in their lives. Amen? And by the way, the way you can do that and, and start your kids down that road is when you have your Bible time at home, sit them around the table. Don't let them go, get up and run around. You sit them down and they talk. You say, be quiet now. It's time for the Bible. Teach them a reverence for the Scripture. I have to do with my kids, and they're older already. They get in these moods sometimes. Everything's funny and a joke. Dad, order. Amen? Is that not right, kids? Raise your hand if it's right. Oh, they're all scared now. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes with smaller kids, you can't do it on the couch. Smaller kids, you have to do it around the table, on the kitchen chairs. That's where you teach them to sit properly in the chair now maybe later on you can move to the couch when they've learned to sit amen but if you teach you bring them to the couch too soon they're just going to lie and flip upside down and do all kinds of things and you know what you need to teach that order that's going to help you sit them down in church so you don't have to go through so, so much turmoil here go through it at home amen they know when dad says you're going to sit still because they knew what happened in bible time when they didn't listen to the bible Amen. You guys get what I'm saying here? I'm giving you a little practical advice. All right. I mean, you do what you want, but I mean, my goodness, we have a God of order. And he wants us to teach our children to be in order. And so that's why I say invitation time, you, you stay where you are. You got to go outside, go during hymn singing, go during handshaking, but treat the Bible with reverence. Your children are watching you. The kids of the church are watching. If you're going to run around, why can't they run around? Amen? So, uh, folks, <laughs> during the offertory, that's also a time where your hearts, especially on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or something like that, 
uh, when the music is being played, it's sometimes in place of the special. You sit, you don't move around. It's there to speak to the heart. Amen? So be careful. With it. I don't mean to just you know, be all controlling here, but folks, there's a reason why God had order. There's a reason. Amen? Yeah. Now, don't be scared. I'm not going to whoop you if you, <laughs> you know, mess it up. But I'll remind you again. I will. All right? I won't call you out by name like some preachers do. All right? <laughs> Number three, responsibility toward God. I remember <laughs> the one preacher we were at, he's a really good guy. But he says, he tells the kids, if I see you run around in church, I'm going to hang you up by your ankles. Then I'm going to get your parents. I'm going to and I'm going to tell them how bad of a parent they are right in front of you. I mean, this guy could get away with it somehow. I, don't, I probably couldn't. You'd have a max exit as a people. But, you know, but this guy wanted, hey, we don't run around like that. You know? Anyways. Responsibility toward God. The bread would have to be baked fresh every Sabbath and set in order on the table. It would be eaten by the priests throughout the week, showing us the need to keep our fellowship vibrant with God. Not only are we to have a vibrant fellowship, but a, but a pure fellowship with God signified by the unleavened bread. So if we're going to have a pure fellowship or a, a, a fellowship with God. It's not only going to be vibrant, it's going to be pure. No hypocrisy. Amen. No error. Truth. Amen. 1 Chronicles 9.32, and, and other of the, their brethren, the sons of the Kohathites, were over the showbread to prepare it every Sabbath. 1 Chronicles 23.29, both for the showbread and for the fine flour, for meat offering, and for the unleavened cakes, and for that which is baked in the pan, and for that which is fried, and for all manner of measure and size. Luke 12, verse 1, in the meantime, when they were gathered together in innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod upon one another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Oh, it's such a danger to your Christianity to be a hypocrite. I mean, of course, you're not going to walk in here with your, your sinful attitude that you have all week. But you know, the thing is, you ought not have a sinful attitude all week. As good as you can behave here and as good as you can put it on here, that's the way you ought to be all week long, amen? Be careful. You're cussing up a storm during the week and here you're just as sweet as, as, as anything. Don't be a hypocrite. You know, we all have weaknesses. We know that. You're going to fail in certain things and it's not always going to be perfect, but don't pretend. Because when you learn to pre pretend, then you don't change. Amen? When you're honest with yourself, then you change. You say, hey, I got some problems. I need to work on these things. Got no problem someone coming to me. Hey, I got this problem. And we need, hey, great, we're here to help you. But you put on a show. You fake it. You're not going to change. You're not going to become what God wants you to be. Amen. All right, I think that's it for tonight. We're going to leave that at the table of showbread. That's enough. Amen. It's a lot there to think about. And hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. You can take it home and... And meditate on that. Next week we'll get to the golden candlestick. All right, so let's bow our heads. Let me ask you this. Are you in fellowship with the Lord? Are you, are you reading your Bibles? I was talking to our kids this week, and I said, you know, kids, you've got to read your Bibles. 
And I asked them pointedly, we need to read your Bible last. And it's okay to be honest. It's okay to say, hey, Dad, I forgot today or I forgot yesterday. or, You know, that, that, that's just human. You're, you're going to forget sometimes. But it's a whole different thing is when you're not reading it at all. You've got to make a commitment to the Word of God because there's no fellowship with God apart from Scripture. That's walking in the light because the Word of God is the light, the lamp unto your feet, light unto your path. You've got to spend time in the Bible to have fellowship with Christ. And if you have fellowship with Christ, then you'll have fellowship with Christ's people. The Bible says if you don't love the people of God or the children of God, then you don't love God. It's tied together. It's intrinsically become one thing. That's why you know when you're out of fellowship with the church, you're out of fellowship with the Lord. I just want to encourage you to eat that bread and eat it with the people of God. Fellowship. Don't be running off. I know sometimes things are hard and you face some battles and you want to run away alone and deal with it. But you know what? You need God's people to encourage you. You don't have to tell them everything and expose everything you've gone through. But you, know, you just need to go to people. And sometimes they just see that your spirit is down. And they'll just say, hey, you know what? Just be encouraged. I've had people like that constantly throughout the week that have sent me emails and, and texts and say, be encouraged. Because they know the battle that we're in today. And that's the way you ought to be with the people around here. Nothing wrong with sending someone a note and saying, I just want to encourage you today because we care about you. We're praying for you. That's fellowship. That's a table of showbread. That's Christ. That's a relationship. Don't pull yourself out. Don't go hide yourself. Don't go hide in the back. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't do all that. Nobody can get you out of that. There's no way we can help you. You're just going to sit there with your thumb in your mouth and it's just sorry. You're just not going to move forward for God. Nobody can help you out of that. Nobody can fix that except for you. You've got to get it right. You've got to take a step forward. I've never seen a person like that yet that anybody could actually help. There's no way we can be enough for you if that's what you are. Don't do it. Give yourself for others. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. Fellowship with God's people. Be a part of God's work as they serve within that holy.